welcome to Sailing in the Mediterranean and Beyond podcast. I'm your host. My name is Franz. Looking for a sewing machine that's both portable and powerful? Look no further than the legendary Sailrite Ultrafeed LSZ-1. Take it to the marina, store it on your boat. The Ultrafeed goes where you go. This high-performing, heavy-duty machine sews both in zigzag and straight stitch. The Ultrafeed can handle your toughest jobs with absolutely zero loss of power or skip stitches. It breezes through up to 10 layers of Sunbrella canvas and eight layers of Dacron sailcloth. With the most dependable all-metal internal components, the Ultrafeed is a piece of well-engineered machinery that's built to last. Sailrite has been building the Ultrafeed for over 20 years. This tried-and-true powerhouse machine comes with a five-year limited warranty and the best customer service in the industry. The machines are assembled, fine-tuned, and tested at Sailrite's manufacturing facility by a team of highly trained technicians. Every machine is calibrated and tested before it's shipped to guarantee both smooth operation and machine quality. Take your sewing skills to the next level with the Sailrite Ultrafeed LSZ-1 sewing machine. All right, I'm on, I'm on Skype with Jack Andrews. Jack and I have been trying to catch up for a long time. I'm trying to think of the last time we talked, and I think it was um, before you actually crossed the Atlantic, wasn't it? You were still in the Canary Islands getting ready? Uh, it was definitely before we crossed the Atlantic. Um, exactly when? That's a good question, Franz. So much has happened. <laughs> I know. Well, <clears throat> let's start there and catch up. Well, I don't know. Let's let's start with where you're at right now, and uh, how the how the coronavirus has been, and then we may work work our way backwards. Yeah. Okay. Um, so we're currently in Granada. Um, we are. In a marina called La Far Blue, it's a small marina with a boutique hotel next to it, which is pretty fancy. You know, it's nice. The kids have got a pool to access. Um, luckily, the uh, bar is open, so they even have happy hour now. Um, they're only open two weeks ago, and we've only been here for two and a half weeks. Um, prior to that, we were on anchor for about 140 days straight. Um, so that sort of set a new record for us. And in actual fact, we've only been in one marina prior to this since December last year, and that was uh, we spent four days in Rodney Bay, St. Lucia, um, in the marina there. <clears throat> so it has been very much a uh, at anchor situation for us during our, well, our stay in the Caribbean so far. Um, but there's been lots of quarantine on Anchor as well. So how COVID has affected people, I think it really depends on which island you were at in the Caribbean at the time. And I think the same obviously applies for a lot of friends in the Mediterranean that uh, are in different countries because every government took it slightly differently. I mean, I know that uh, some, some countries, they were sending people out of their territorial waters that weren't nationals. And in places like, for instance, Saint uh, Saint Martin, the French 
uh, island there or the French Dutch situation there that on that particular island there's a lagoon which everybody goes and anchors in and they pretty much closed it so you had boats <clears throat> that couldn't move with people that couldn't go for a swim um, struggling to make water and dealing with um, being on their boat non-stop and only being able to go ashore for uh, food. <clears throat> so I think that would have been pretty tough. We spent most of our time from March when it sort of, when everything started to shut down. Um, for the next three months, we were in Antigua. And Antigua had um, very few cases. It had um, fairly strict lockdown like most of these islands had. I mean, a lot of them were a bit concerned about the fact that you know, medical facilities on the islands are not the best. So if they get stuck with a lot of cases, then I think they'll, they'll be overwhelmed very quickly. <clears throat> and <clears throat> so they were fairly strict. Things are shut down and then they started to moderate. So we found that we had two weeks of must be on your boat. You can only leave um, for medical or food purposes. And you could swim around the boat in Antigua and just do exercise around the boat. And after that two to three week period, they opened up the ability to go ashore. Um, some of the shops started to open, um, the beaches were open and so on. So we were pretty lucky. And then within, um, I think six weeks of it, we were able to sail around the island and anchor up. And the only thing that had to happen was that there was still a little bit of a curfew time in the nighttime and obviously you had to wear masks and stay socially distanced. Um, that was it over there. Now, <clears throat> everyone was very concerned about the hurricane season because with all the borders shut down, uh, there was this issue about the fact that normally everybody heads either to the States or head south for the hurricane season. Some brave souls stay out there cruising around and then just run away when they when they see something coming. I mean, again, typically you have the homegrown hurricanes in the initial stages of the hurricane season, and you don't really get the ones coming from Africa, as far as I understand, until about after July, sort of August onwards, is when they start to come across the Atlantic from... Uh, just off the Cape Verdes. So, and those are the ones that obviously you, you're trying to stay away from in the, in the Caribbean. I mean, Antigua is right in the middle of that um, zone. So you wouldn't want to be there if you were just taking your chances. But um, the concern was that Granada's borders were closed and Trinidad was closed. So... Um, there is a sailing organization here, um, MIAG, which worked towards opening up the country specifically for cruisers to come in. So they have about 900 boats registered that were coming in over the course of the last few months and the next few months. And <clears throat> they're processing about 45 boats a week. And we registered on about the second or third week. It, well, we actually registered the, the day they announced it, but we picked a slot that was like um, 
second or third week into the start of this program. And we then had to come into St. George's Anchorage, which became a quarantine-only Anchorage. And like I said, there's about um, there's two weeks of boats in there. So it turns out there's about between 80 to 90 boats anchored off St. George's in the quarantine area, uh, which is assigned. It's patrolled. Um, and you can't get off your boat there at all unless you have permission from the Coast Guard or the marina. Um, so you can get food deliveries, pick, you go and pick them up from the dock after delivering them. And there's only certain suppliers that you, you can use for that. But the suggestion was come over as though you're doing an Atlantic crossing with as much food on your boat and stocked up. So you can just stay on your boat during the quarantine time. So we went through that process. We did, um, effectively when you include the time we sailed from Antigua to Granada, and the time in quarantine, it was about 14 days. And then we did a COVID rapid test, um, which luckily we all passed. And um, we got our health certificates and our entry into Granada. So we are now, <clears throat> you know, in Granada for the next few months. And we may extend that or we, we may choose to go somewhere else for the rest of hurricane season, depending on how it goes. Bonaire is a potential. Um, yeah, so that's how we are now. And, of course, like everybody else, you know, there's been times we're just on the boat. And um, for us, we've always been very busy, been very luckily actively mentally busy with school and boat tasks and, you know, work. And Julia's still editing science papers. So there was always plenty for us to do. Yeah. So you must have had Internet access all the time then too as well, did you? <clears throat> Yes. So if you ever sail in the uh, Caribbean, one great card to get is a Digicel card from Martinique. Uh, it's only available in Martinique. And until we picked that up, because we first landed in Barbados and went to St. Lucia, and the internet was really expensive. I mean, it was just crazy. The amount of internet we were used to going through in the Mediterranean and then coming to the Caribbean, it was I mean, the prices were four times as much. But when we got to Martinique, uh, because Martinique is still under French control, you know, it's all Euro. Uh, the prices are obviously well subsidized by the uh, French government there. And uh, you can pick up, you know, it doesn't matter what nationality you are, you can pick up a uh, Martinique Digicel card. And as long as you can attach a credit card to it that they'll bill each month, then it'll last as long as you... Um, have money on the credit card and you'll get something like 35 gig a month for about 40 euro or 50 gig a month for 50 euro. Um, so those cards are great and we've used them ever since we picked them up in Martinique and cruised the rest of the islands. Uh, whilst a lot of the other cards in the Caribbean, the, even the Digicel ones, they'll only work on the island you purchase them in, on, and then the rest is considered roaming. Whilst the Martinique card is not considered roaming, you can just use it on all the other islands. Amazing. Hmm. Well, that's good information to have. Very good information. So, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. How many, you know, I have the hardest time because supposedly you have unlimited internet. I have no idea how many gigs I work go through a month, but I'm watching Netflix movies every night. 
and all my entertainment up here at the ranch is basically internet. Do you have any idea how much you guys go through? Because you're you're not stingy on using internet. We're using uh, we're using bandwidth right now to talk. Yeah, well, I mean we're definitely not stingy. Um, yeah, we we are probably an exception. Of course, we also use the internet for work, but um, we have. 300 gig that we have in mobile internet and then we have the ability to access more if we run over that and occasionally occasionally we do <laughs> okay okay do you use it for entertainment a lot like i do for movies and that sort of thing um yeah look i mean the kids watch quite a bit of youtube on it but okay. um, they're very sensible i mean they they monitor how much they've got left and when they're going to run out and when it's going to renew. And they'll adjust the quality of the video stream based on the amount of data they've got left to, to burn through. So if you, if, you watch, if you watch things in low quality, you can actually get quite a lot um, for your gigs worth of um, data. So that's um, something they do. But obviously, we also they need to have it for school. So school's a big thing. If they run out of internet, that I'm paying for because they've used it all up on YouTube and they run out for school, then they're in big trouble. So they keep an eye on that. So now you have three children, correct? Yeah, there's three on the boat. I have five in total, of which two are in Australia. Okay. But, yep, three on the boat. And they're getting big. Um, <laughs> the boat was a good size. <laughs> yeah, I know. Which is like crazy the amount of food we have to buy. I mean, there's these cruising couples that jump on a bus and go shopping and they get buy enough food for a weekend. I have to get a uh, bus for myself just to buy enough food to keep the teenagers fed. Um, and the amount of food that we had for the crossing in all the bilges, I mean, it was just crazy. I mean, some of it we still have on board, but it, we did go through quite a lot of it. Um, because, I mean, yeah, Declan is, or both the boys are taller than myself wow um, that's been a while since i've seen them okay yeah it has been yeah it's amazing how quickly they grow in these years so yeah one's about to turn 16 wow how has um, been uh how is the other one i'm sorry go ahead jack i didn't mean to interrupt you oh that's right i was just gonna say yeah let's say he's the oldest anyway yeah 16 so you said declan's turning 16 and then uh you're gonna go through the others then Oh, yeah, yeah. So there's basically two years apart. Okay. So yeah. 16, 14, so, and 12 then, huh? Yeah. yeah. Now, when you're, when you're homeschooling, is, is Julia re responsible for that, or do you take turns doing it together, or how do you work that out? Uh, no, she's got the PhD. I'm just the baggy-ass diver, so she gets to do the homeschooling. And how do and have you done any uh, assessments on how they compare to, to to their peers who are going to the uh, the lousy yeah, public schools? Um, <laughs> we've, yeah, well, we've had we've had a chance to do some of that, and uh, so far it's been quite favourable. So we haven't um, we haven't had any issues. Um, Declan is actually currently doing a online uh, creative writing course, and um, He's, yeah, he's he's hammering that in at a hundred percent every time he gets assessed. So obviously that side of it is fine. Um, Ruben's a couple of years ahead in his math, so 
you know, his natural fat, we've slowed him down a bit. Um, we don't seem to, I think Ivy's pretty much on where she should be. Um, but, uh, you know, they all have their little areas that they're really good at and on the boat that sort of seems to really come out and they get a chance to progress those fairly rapidly. So, yeah, we have had, I mean, Declan has actually spent some time in an international school when he visited a friend for a couple of weeks where he just joined in the classes and that was a good assessment of how things were going and that was about two years into the homeschooling side of things. Um, and these current courses, we use Khan Academy a lot as well. Um, that keeps a tally of where they're at and other online resources for schooling. We're still sort of following a, a U.S. curriculum, uh, although it's fairly loose. There's a lot of similarities between the U.S. and Australia. In Australia, you could actually do a formal curriculum as well, but we'd obviously been living in the U.S. for uh, five years before we bought the boat, so we sort of stuck with what they were uh, leaving the system with and carried that on. You know, I, I, when I was down to New Zealand, I, I stayed at my friend Doug Schmuck's house in uh, near, um, well, it's near the Bay of Islands. And one of the, one of the people who was staying with him was a, a girl who had sailed through years before and uh, with her family, her and her sister and her parents. And they, this was probably, 10 years ago and she was an adult now and she was into I think she was accepted into Yale and I talked to her and I'm trying to get her on the podcast but she hasn't responded to any of my emails because I wanted to talk to her as a child that grew up on the boat and get her impressions of her education and, and the, just in my short conversations with her when she went back and had to go to, uh, to high school it was just a big step down for her and it became very, very boring for her. But uh, she, she was way beyond her peers at that point in time. And uh, I, think, I, th I think that that would be an issue as well for our kids because um, once you leave the school system, I mean, you know, there's advantages and disadvantages to the school system in the sense that if you're concerned about uh, bringing your kids up and educating them yourself, well, then, you know, there's a perfectly acceptable well-used system there and you can send them to school and everything's normal and everyone's happy. Um, <clears throat> but some kids are not happy in that and you see that they go to special schools and need additional attention in some areas or whatever the case is. On a boat, there is just like no mucking around. I mean, that's like, you know, you, you're sitting around a small table right in front of the person that's looking after you and you, there's only a small number of people there. So you got a one-to-one, one-to-three relationship with the teacher. You have instant um, resolution on any issues. Um, and there is no recess, lunch, other group activities. So it's all very academic in a concentrated time. And then after that, effectively school's over. But typically... <clears throat> the kids would still end up doing similar things to what other school kids would do, but it's not really at school anymore. You know, they'll go out for a hike or they'll go out and, um, you know, do some sort of science experiment uh, ashore. Um, you know, Julia will do certain activities that, you know, are either a history lesson, a geography lesson, um, 
a bit of science, um, all those things sort of incorporated to activities that are off the boat. And so we don't really treat that as school, but it is. Uh, but the academic side of it gets done in a really concentrated time, uh, face-to-face, and that gets progressed really quickly. And I think the biggest thing is when you have a larger number in a classroom, you know, it's <clears throat> a kid can have an off day and all of a sudden fall back a week uh, and then miss an entire section. And then, you know, they might not, you know, they might not be able to recover that and they end up doing badly on an exam because of that one day that they weren't feeling the best. And, but that, that sort of stuff gets picked up very early for our kids because it's one-to-one. So it's, and it's very beneficial in that sense. And obviously there's plenty of people schooling their kids at home, not on boats, um, that are doing the same sort of thing. So I don't think people that want to get on a boat and go cruising should be concerned about their kids' education because one thing is for sure the kids will still learn at least as well as they would at school in, in what they're doing. There's so many resources available. In actual fact, you know, it's almost difficult answering somebody, well, what do you do? Because what we do fits our kids, fits what, how we're working with them and their particular strengths and weaknesses. But there is so much in the way of resources available, either paid or for free, that all you have to do is talk to a few people and see what they're doing and have a look online yourself as to what's available and it's covered really easily. I think, you know, if you really want to find out or if you really want to spend quality time with your kid, homeschooling is pretty good for it. Yeah, up here at the ranch, we have seven families that live up here year-round and one family, my nephew, and he's got three kids. He's homeschooling. His wife is homeschooling. She's a She's a certified teacher, but she, they've chosen to homeschool. And the young one is progressing so fast because she's sitting in on the, the, <coughs> excuse me, the, same, the same lessons that the, uh, the older children are learning. She's learning automatically without even trying. So, oh, yeah. 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 And, it's, and Ivy will often refer to Ruben, who's the guy that's you know, two years ahead in his math, and ask him for help with her issues that she's having rather than even, you know, talking to Julia about it, if Julia's not available or, you know, whatever. So it, it, having the older kids with the younger kids is uh, great. You know, they, the younger kids mature and learn so much faster as well. Yeah. So I'm looking at so, uh, Google Earth on Grenada, and it looks like yep. there's a few roads around the island. Have you uh, done any inland exploring, or have you stayed pretty much on your boat? Um, so... We've only just started to um, hire a car and, oh, sorry, well, we've actually been using taxi drivers, but, um, you know, we hit the capital, St. George's, and we're in quarantine for the for the first part of it. We then sailed around to this little marina. And, um, and the reason we sailed around here was actually because uh, Kim's here on Sailing Bridicon. Oh, okay. And uh, Ivy and Sienna wanted to uh, spend some time together because... Whilst the boys have had each other and it's all been very quiet on, on during quarantine, um, she had some Canadian friends that have been sailing with us since Marine de Ragusa and crossed the Atlantic with us. But then once they went home, just before the lockdowns happened, she's been a little bit lonely. So it's been great because Kim's child, uh, Sienna, is a year different to Ivy's or a year and a half. So 
So they're getting along quite well. And that's one of the reasons that we came here, knowing that we're going to be not doing a lot, hanging around for hurricane season in Granada and just doing school and maybe meeting new people. And we've certainly been meeting a lot of new people. There's so many people here that are cruising around. I mean, the, the bays, if you just have a look at Google and um, look at uh, the number of boats that are anchored in the bays, even just in the Google Maps, it'll sort of give you an indication of uh, how many Yeah. around here So I'm, hurricane I, season. Are you at Secret Harbor? Is that where you're at? Um, no, if you actually, if you have a look, I'll have a look myself as to give you some idea. Um, there is a, there's a light ship restaurant that's probably marked on there somewhere, um, in one of these bays and the bay that we're in and some reason. So I'm going counterclockwise around the island, I assume. So you went past the airport, and then there's a whole yep. bunch of bays down there, just to, just yep. past the airport there. And uh, there is. So you, so you go around around the bottom of the airport, mm-hmm. and um, I'm not sure if you can see there, um, prickly, prickly Bay. Prickly Bay. Yeah, yep. just keep. Yeah, you just keep going to Mount Hartman uh, Bay, and there's Lafar Blue and the Lightship. It's Part one further across from Woburn Bay. Okay, right there. Okay, so okay, and there's, there's a little marina. Fair Blue Holiday Resort showing up here. Oh yeah, there's a so yeah, yeah. it's that little marina right there. Then you're at then. Correct. Yep. Yeah. In the last eighteen months, we've done I think about seven and a half thousand nautical miles um, since the beginning of last year in travel distance so it's uh and and like i said in the caribbean we spent most of it on anchor which has been fantastic because very different to the med in that sense and the other thing that was being very different and a pleasant surprise is the um uh the weather forecasting um and the fact that you could sail so much compared to the med where you get some of those areas in the Mediterranean. And don't get me wrong. I really enjoyed the time in the Mediterranean. And I'd love to go back. Uh, you know, I, th- I think we still will be going back. I expect we'll stay in the Caribbean for the next few years and really get a feel for it. And um, we may even go north into the U.S. for hurricane season next year. Um, <clears throat> but the med was, as far as sailing terms are concerned, it was either too much wind or no wind. Oh, yeah. And I end up motoring so much in the med. So much. Yeah. 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 Um, so, I mean, I filled up with fuel in um, in the Canaries before we left. So, Los Palmas, before we crossed the Atlantic. And I still have fuel in the tank from when I did that uh, last December. Wow. So, we're having even used all the fuel from from there because the sailing's great. I mean, you know, you just either you're gonna have a squall or you're not. Otherwise it's, you know, fifteen to twenty knots fairly consistent. It's either coming from the north or the southeast, but that's what's happening. <laughs> so 
Yeah, that's a great trade wind sailing down there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely great trade wind sailing. And, you know, you don't need anything fancy in sails to, to sail a reach. So it's, it's quite an easy sail in that sense. Um, and the squalls haven't been too bad. I think the, the hardest we've had has been about 49 knots. Oh, okay. Um, and that's a one-off. Most of them sort of like 35 knots, 35 to 40 knots of wind. Um, I was only one that was fairly, fairly uh, five knots more than that or so. Um, but, yeah, and the anchorages have been great. And unfortunately, we have not had as much chance to explore as we would like. Um, so just getting back to it, you know, we arrived in Barbados after doing the crossing and we did the crossing in 18 days or just shy of 18 days or 17 days and something straight from Las Palmas. Uh, we didn't go via the Cape Verdes. Uh, we just headed straight across and, you know, Barbados is fairly limited in anchorages. I mean, it's got, it's got plenty of beach that you can anchor on, but I wouldn't say that they're protected anchorages. Uh, from the swell. So it has been um, a lot nicer to be able to be in places like um, Antigua, which we obviously spent a lot of time in, uh, Martinique, um, even Guadeloupe has got, uh, yeah, Guadeloupe's pretty good for anchorages as well. Um, and we didn't even get a chance, unfortunately, to, um, to leave Antigua and go to Barbuda because that would have been fantastic, um, but it was locked down unfortunately. But yeah, so anyway, so that's sort of. Um, do you want to start off at the crossing? Is there any particular? Well, no, yeah. Questions let's, you have? Yeah, well, I know you and I talked personally, one on one, or we exchanged a few emails, and yeah. uh, but I I don't think we've shared those with anybody. But basically, you had you picked Julia picked the perfect weather window didn't, for you, didn't she? Yeah. Well, I, I, I mean, I'd only expect that from her, but <laughs> you know, you're only as good as your last weather forecast. <laughs> um, so yeah, so there's such a thing called the Christmas winds, and I, I would say that if you're going to do a crossing, use the Christmas winds to cross with. A lot of people try and get over to the Caribbean for Christmas. So unfortunately for them, uh, they're sort of timing orientated. Um, and we all know what happens when you're sort of timing orientated to get across by a certain date. Then, you know, you can no longer wait around for the, for the best weather window. And um, we've had friends that left weeks before us and had a terrible passage. You know, they were... They were in the middle swimming around the boat because they had no wind. Uh, they had lots of swell, which meant that light winds and swell means a lot of chafe and rigging issues, halyards getting chafed through and sails going in the water. And so a lot of that happened uh, to boats that left earlier. And then light winds obviously means longer passage times, so more time for things to break things like autopilots and so forth. So if, if you uh, if you can, uh, use the Christmas ones to cross with, which is sort of, you know, any time from Christmas through 
most of January, I guess. Um, but, you know, we, we took off and we had, um, once we got away from the Canaries and started heading uh, more towards the Caribbean as opposed to south, so as soon as we started heading more west, uh, which was the majority of obviously the, the trip, we had perfect downwind conditions of 20 to 35 knots of wind. Um, about the worst, the highest we saw uh, was about three to four meters. Uh, most of the time it was two to three meters. And obviously, one than that. I mean, we've got a picture of us going down what looked to be like a six-meter wave. Um, but you know, as per the forecast, when you're looking at average heights, you double that for the occasional one that comes through as as they're measured, right? So, but because the wind and the waves were coming from the same direction, all it was was surfing down a wave. So. Our fastest speed surfing down a wave was 15.8 knots. <laughs> you saved and, that one, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it was totally comfortable. It was totally in control. Um, and none of us noticed it. All we did was see that we recorded that as the fastest speed for that day. We didn't even know when it happened. It was sort of, you know, it just happened. I mean, most of the time, the on our boat, the Bavaria 44, we've got a um, Volvo Penta drive. So obviously the propeller is spinning because su supposedly Volvo Penta, you leave it in neutral. Um, so you got the propeller spinning and we've got a fixed prop. I wish we had a feathering or a folding prop. But, you know, you can sort of hear it, the whine increase as the speed of the boat increases as you start sailing down the wave or surfing down the wave. So, yeah, so that was uh, pretty good. And our sail configuration for the crossing was very simple. It was two head sails uh, on one furler. Um, we did use wing, wing configuration when we sort of went from Gibraltar to the Canaries. But from the, from the Canaries across the Atlantic, it was effectively one sail that was out even though it was two sails either side so we used the uh, boom as a pole for one side and a pole on the other side so we had both sails pulled out and they were on the same furler uh, the furler's got the foil has got two tracks on it so we had the one halyard and because the winds were fairly good meaning we didn't have light winds uh, it meant that they were uh, reefed or furled in uh, at least a couple of turns all the time. I think, I don't think we had them fully out except for maybe one one day. Uh, most of the time, they were much reduced, and that also meant that there was no chafe on the halyard at all because they were the wraps of sail on the foil itself was what was keeping the sails up. So I, I actually could take the tension off the halyard, and there was no pressure on it at all. So we had no chafe concerns with the halyard at all. The only thing we had to look for was um, chafe on the pole, so on the guys and on the sheets. 
and um, once you sort of knew how to position them so they were not moving as much, um, it was fine. So we had no – I mean, our only issue we had crossing the entire ocean was the fact that I spilled a cup of coffee on my desk. Oh. And that got over the logbook and stuff like that. That was, <laughs> that was the worst thing that we had that happened. So were your head sails matching head sails, or was one slightly larger than the other one, or what? What, what was the uh, sails, the head sails in? Um, well, there were two uh, Genoas for the boat, and one was the old Genoa, and one's the new Genoa, and uh, they were roughly the same size. Okay. So um, we did one crossing from Lanzarote uh, to Las Palmas, and we did that on a reach so both and we already had both sails up at that point in time um and both sails were both on the one side so you can still sail with the sails as you would normally just the fact that you you know one wraps against the other um and you just obviously you've got two two sets of sheets coming back as opposed to just one set of sheets um but it's easy just to either open that up and have both of them out or close it by heading you know, into the wind one way or the other and uh, closing the sails against each other. And you can just furl it that way. Or you can furl both of them at the same time by just releasing the tension on the sheets. And they will just wrap like a bit of a envelope forward and you can still furl them in using the one furling line. So, we've, so we found it very easy to, to do the entire crossing. I mean, the boys... Um, did watches and Declan was doing sail adjustments by himself um, if he needed to. So um, so that was good. In fact, that was meant that we had four people doing watches through the night. It was only just the family that crossed, so we had five of us. Obviously, Ivy was not doing a watch. Um, she's just a, a little bit small and young still, but um, she occasionally spent time with the brothers up there. Um, so that was good. Um, we had a shark follow us at one stage. Uh, we, yeah, <laughs> yeah, we'd caught a mahi mahi and, uh, I filleted it and threw the stuff over the well, remnants over the back of the boat. And sort of 12 hours later, we spotted what we thought was a whale, but it was not a whale cause it wasn't coming up to the surface to breathe. And, uh, and it was quite funny because occasionally we'd see the object and it would be, slightly higher than the cockpit because the waves were decent enough that occasionally you'd sort of be down one here and you know the other wave top would be over there and you could see this object swimming through the wave following the boat and he'd actually be higher than the seats in the cockpit <laughs> and then of course you know you'd rise on that wave and he'd, he'd get lower so that sort of freaked julia out a bit how big was um, it but like about four meters, so it's about twelve feet. Yeah, big one then, huh? Yeah, that's why we thought it was a whale, because it was a, it was a decent size. Uh, we did have whales across as well, um, but that was only we only saw them once. Uh, whilst the, the other boat that was crossing with us, Atoka, uh, saw them saw them a number of times. And that's another thing that was quite cool, and I know that we talked about it was the fact that. Um, when we're back at Marina de Ragusa, Julia started this meetup for people that wanted to cross the Atlantic. And we had about, um, oh, so like about 20 boats that attended the meetings. And they were all meetings about 
navigation, routes, timings, weather, um, med kits, ditch bags, all that, communications, all that sort of stuff. Uh, by the end of it, we had 13 boats from Marina de Ragusa that crossed this year. And out of that, about five, four, uh, let's see, one, two, three, four, four boats left exactly at the same time. And two of us had exactly the same sail configuration, configuration in roughly the same boat. So Toka is a Bavaria 46 and we're a Bavaria 44. So we're actually 46 feet long, he's 48 feet long, and we're the same sail configuration, and we sailed across the entire Atlantic within one nautical mile of each other, um, having a radio chat almost like two, three, four times a day. Um, and we even, you know, at the midway point, we brought the boats close together and took photos of, of the boats, and that's why we've got this one photo of us going down this wave. I'll send, I'll send that to you. Yeah, send that to me. I'll put that uh, in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so it was fantastic having company. Uh, um, it, we did have to slow down on occasions for Toka. I mean, like, because De- De- Declan would do his night watch and he would just like, let more sail out because he just wanted to go faster. Uh, I would like, it would be my watch. I'd say to Declan, okay, Declan, um, Nick would like you to stay stay close, right? So, you know, just as long as they're within a few miles, you know, you can see their mast headlight. We just sailed with our anchor lights on so you could always spot the boats. I figured that, you know, anchor light out in the middle of the ocean, no one's going to give you a hard time about that because surely you're not anchored, right? But it gives you better <laughs> visibility at night. Yeah. Um, anyway, so, so we're sailing along and wake up. And uh, I go, so where's the token? He goes, oh, they're about five miles behind. I go, what? <laughs> Nick specially asked you to stay close. He goes, oh, yeah. He goes, but we're just going too slow. So I just wanted to go a bit faster. <laughs> so that, that became the Declan Gap. It took him about uh, a day or two to, to catch up. The Declan Gap, but, huh? <laughs> yeah, the Declan Gap. But, yeah, so it was great sailing company in that sense. Um and the other boats that came came across at the same time, unfortunately, they, they had different sail configurations. So they couldn't go um, the same speed and the same course that we were heading. Um, so, yeah, they ended up um, doing a, lot, a few more miles and came in a little, uh, you know, the, the day after us because, because of that. And the guy, I mean, one of them, uh, on Avanti, I mean, he didn't have a downwind sail, so he he just crossed with his normal sails. So. so he just couldn't quite go straight downwind in that configuration for some reason. So your wind was definitely above six knots the entire way across, then, wasn't it? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We I think um, yeah we had twenty to thirty five yeah knots yeah. Now you're a you're a sloop, not a cutter, aren't you? Correct. Okay. Yep. I wonder how it would work with a cutter rig. I don't think this cutter sail would be big enough to make much difference on it. On my boat, I'm thinking. So, yeah. Well, I mean, well, you know the distant shores guys, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, their favorite 
um, configuration, their, their Carter rigged, and their fa favorite configuration is, is going downwind with um, with the sails out individually. Mm -hmm. uh, but they've got two poles specific, specifically for that reason. But obviously it depends on what the size of the sail is. Yeah, it's not so, big enough is what it is. So the cutter sail yeah, on my okay. boat is more of a storm sail than, than anything else. So, yeah, and yeah. when I had my new sails uh, made, the uh, sailing shop lost my lapper, my old lapper. So uh, I don't have my old lapper, my old jib. So that's uh, right. disappointing. So I, I, I actually hadn't planned on keeping it until I've talked to you, and now I wish I had it. So when I do a... Well, the thing is, it's, you know, it, well, for a downwind sail, you don't need a new sail, right? Because yeah. it's not, the sail is not sailing into wind. It is just purely acting there as a big, big Parachute, rag. So yeah. <laughs> it does not need to have a sail shape to have the wind coming into it from behind. Um, so the old sails work totally fine for that. Yeah, maybe I'll just pick up one that's approximate somewhere along the way and make sure the bolt rope fits it. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's a bummer because after talking to you, I said I could have easily done exactly what you've done. I, but I've never thought of putting two head sails up on. I have two, I have two slots on the foil, but I've never really yep. thought about uh, putting a second sail up the other slot, which makes perfect sense as I talk to you. So yeah. it, did you basically go about the 14th, uh, the port, 14th degree parallel, 14 degrees north? Is that about what you did? Uh, good question. Because I'm looking um, at Google Earth. I put the grid up here, and it looks like 14 well, degrees you, pretty much goes straight you, into. Uh, if you go to no, if you go to no foreign land. <laughs> uh, yeah. If you go to no foreign land, and uh, search for Vesna, yeah. you will, and then select, um, uh, you know, show journey. It'll show you the entire track across the Atlantic. I'll try to put a link to that in the show notes. So. So you well, had, I can send you a link. yeah, you had a great, yeah, send me a link. You had a great crossing then. So it was that were you uh, were you nervous about it before, or were you fairly comfortable on uh, before you before you left? I think we were pretty comfortable before we left. Um, but mind you, we'd been preparing for it for a year, mm -hmm. so I think that helped uh, peace of mind. I mean, but you know, it was the, anyone's first ocean crossing is a bit nervous well it should be a bit you should be a bit nervous um well let's you know we we had to change our standing rigging um for the insurance purposes because it was just too old uh, the insurance company wouldn't cover any um problems as a result of the standing rigging so that had to be changed so we changed that in malta last march um sorry not last march the march before um we had also changed all the through holes on the boat uh, the same year. Um, all the running rigging had been changed not that long ago. We had sails that were only two years old. We, um, you know, we've been working on getting things done on the boat and we installed a water maker and, and so forth. Oh, you did install. Um, I was going to ask you, you did install a water maker then, huh? Yeah. Yeah, because the last time we talked, the last time we talked, you were talking about the big bladder you put in your dinghy and ran it. Oh to... yeah, well we used that in the Mediterranean and it was great. And you know, if I was sailing in the Mediterranean, I would not buy a water maker. I don't think you need it. Um, in the Med, you've got fairly easy access to water, 
And if you run out and you want to pick up water from a marina, most of them will just charge you like $10 to or 10 euros to fill up. And, you know, you just come alongside, fill up and go. Um, that's a lot cheaper than maintaining a water maker and, and buying a water maker. And particularly if it's going to be an expensive water maker. Uh, we were lucky we picked up a second-hand water maker. It was a thousand euro. I spent another thousand euro on make, installing it, and it produces. It's small, produces thirty liters an hour, a max. Um, really, it's producing twenty liters now. Uh, so we just have to run it for four hours a day to sort of keep up with what we use. Um, but you know, we're not freshwater flushing toilets and indoor hot shower type of boat. Um, most of the time when we're on anchor, we'll just shower off the back of the boat and that doesn't use up a lot of water. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's been easy. It's, you know, like I said, 140 days on anchor, it's been a, a record for us compared to the med. I think the, the largest number of days on anchor in a summer in the med has been 20 for us. Okay. Um, so really inexpensive cruising over here in the Caribbean as far as uh, marina costs and diesel costs are concerned. <laughs> but food is uh, different, isn't it? Yes, food is. Um, you know, the, the cheapest food, if you want food, is in the south, south um, tip of Spain for us. I mean, we found Sicily was really cheap, and then we got to Spain, it was even cheaper. So that was quite amazing. So, yeah. Um, cheap food in, in the Med, surprisingly. Uh, the Caribbean, obviously, because they're small islands. Um, you know, Granada's only got 110,000 people on it. Um, you know, I mean, Bonaire, for instance, I think they've only got about 20-odd thousand or something. So they're very small places, and uh, demand and supply are the uh, biggest issues over here, except for Martinique. Um, the whole idea is when you get to Martinique, the French island, you just stock up as much as you can uh, because it is European prices and the selection is fantastic. Um, and then you just use that for as long as you have it. And get your internet card there too then, right? Yeah, your internet card as well. Yep. Okay. And, uh, and definitely drop by Barbados if you're going to cross the Atlantic because otherwise it's a decent trek to windward. Ah, okay, okay. So, so Jack, you've been sailing now. I, I think you originally planned on this being a, a year or two adventure, but it's become basically your your whole lifestyle then, hasn't it? Yes, it has. Um, it's hard to get us off the boat, to tell you the truth, um, or away from this lifestyle. I, I do tend to find that I think as the boys are getting a little bit older, they're going to want to um, spend some time ashore. So we have typically, I get, put it this way, it doesn't matter where you go in the world, there is a season and an off-season. And a lot of the times we've been spending the off-season on the boat also. Um, so we've been fairly full-on liveaboard people. I can see that maybe in the next few years we will probably change that a little bit, where instead of being away from the boat to a couple of weeks at Christmas or, you know, maybe a month, we might find ourselves away for what sort of 
similar to what you're doing, a decent period of time. Although I would say that we would still come back and do the entire season on the boat. I know that you haven't been doing that much. Um, you sort of come back for a month or so or two months or whatever it is. Yeah, but I see uh, for us, I think with the kids getting a bit older, they'll probably want to sort of get a bit of an understanding of shore life <laughs> and land-based life again. You know, I think Declan is pretty keen on uh, learning how to drive a car and getting a driver's license. So things like that are a bit hard on the boat. Um, I mean, you know, Ivy, Ivy is a classic example. You know, she, at, at 10, she's able to, you know, before, a bit younger, you know, able to get in and start a 20-horsepower dinghy and drive around and, you know, have a radio with her if she gets in trouble and so on. But, um, yeah, but on the other side of that thing, you know, a driver's license in one particular country that something that just they don't under that would like uh, to have in the next couple of years. Yeah. And you've been able to run your business pretty much from the boat too then. Yeah. I mean, I'm only one part of it. So, you know, we have 10 staff, so it's, and, and two other partners. So, you know, it's, Everyone, in actual fact, everyone works from home. So, yeah, we have offices, but nobody goes there anyway. Are you going to um, give up your offices? So, Are you going to be one of those that says, hey, you know what? We don't need to pay this rent. Let's just get rid of it. Well, we gave them up ages ago. I mean, the offices are just purely there for mail reception and forwarding. Okay. Okay. Yep. Yeah. I mean, the, everyone's just, everyone works from home. Everyone's been working from home since 2011. Okay. Is Julia, now Julia's got her PhD now, doesn't she? Oh, yes, yeah, she had it three years ago. Okay. I mean, she got it in the first year that we were cruising. Right, but in so the med. when you said she's grading papers, is she is she working, is she teaching classes then? Uh, no, she's doing, so she's, do, she's editing uh, science papers that are being submitted for science journals. Oh, okay. All right. So fellow PhDs or wannabe PhDs or research papers that are getting submitted for science journals or for journals. Um, she does editing of those, like maybe about, oh, I guess you do three, four a week sometimes. Okay. Uh, depends how, how big they are. Yeah. So you talked, she, oh, go ahead, I'm sorry. I was going to say, she's just this ability to read so quickly uh, that one of our biggest expenses is actually uh, her Kindle subscription. (laughs) 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 Not only is she editing science papers, but she reads about a book a day. (laughs) Isn't it nice that you can do that now? I mean, I remember when I first started sailing, I'd I'd go, go sail for a month and I'd have a backpack full of paperbacks. And then every marine I'd go yeah. into, I'd go find some paperbacks people had left behind. Nobody does that anymore. They just bring their Kindle and download a book. That's right. Oh, so. yeah, absolutely. I mean, this boat would bloody weigh another five tons <laughs> if we kept all the books that were going through, especially yeah. with the kids as well. So, yeah, it's, oh, thank God for that. <laughs> yeah, that's great. So what are your oh, plans? What are one, your pl- one other thing I was going to say. Yeah. Sorry. Back in El Marimar, before the crossing, what we did is we installed a solar arch um, because we don't have a generator on board. Um, so we've got um, three Panasonic 
335-watt panels on the solar arch. So that's um, about a kilowatt of solar. And on top of, on top of the Bimini, we've got four 100-watt soft panels. So that's probably the equivalent of one of the hard panels. But in wattage, it's about 1.4 kilowatts of solar. And that has been fantastic. Um, means we're just totally independent and we're not having to run a small generator or, you know, we're, we're able to heat the hot water on the boat just using the solar. Um, and even if it's a cloudy day, we'll usually still have 100% batteries. Probably won't have hot water on that day, but <laughs> the batteries will still be 100%. I can't believe you're using electricity to heat up water on a boat when you have so much natural solar energy out there. You just throw a bag up there and let it heat up. Or have a, a black oh, you, painted but, tank up but there on the top. So, <laughs> but there's like five of us that have to have showers, France. Not just yeah. one. <laughs> <laughs> showers, showers are overrated. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what the kids would say. That's for sure. <laughs> so, Jack, you talked about getting a, a bigger boat a, a couple of years ago. You said maybe I want to get a bigger boat, but you basically haven't haven't have decided not to do that then. Franz, it's sort of like, it's so difficult after spending all the time fixing this boat and not fixing because it wasn't broken, but like taking it from a bare boat to a cruiser's boat configuration uh, in terms of batteries, electrical points, battery chargers, inverters, um, solar, water makers, um, you know, standing rigging, sails, <laughs> just add it all up. Um, and the fact that we were so lucky in the purchase of this boat i mean the original plan was as you might remember was to go to florida buy a boat and go sailing the caribbean well we're finally we're finally sailing the caribbean but we bought the boat in the med because the price difference was so large and um you know we we could still sell this boat for more than twice what we bought it for um but having said that we did spend you know maybe 40 to fifty thousand euro on the boat uh, in maintenance and upgrades over the course of the last four years. So it is so much our boat and it is in such good condition for us. It's, I can't, it would have to be a fantastic situation and offer for us to want to change boats at this point in time. Because bearing in mind, yes, I wanted a bigger boat, but I think that was more for the sake of the fact that I thought I wanted a bigger boat not for any real logical reason. Now we're getting to the stage where the kids are getting older. You know, in four or five years, I don't think there'll be as many people on this boat as there are now. Um, so it's always nice to have a big boat. And we, like, you know, Julie and I were sitting in the quarantine and still going through that process and looking at, in this particular case, we're looking at catamarans and going through all the different options on, you know, what sort of layout, what size catamaran and so forth. Because in the Caribbean, a catamaran is a perfect boat to have. Um, and I think that's always a key is you have to have a boat that suits your style of activity with the boat. So, for instance, if you're just going to have a boat that's in a marina and you sail it during the weekend, it almost doesn't matter what boat you have. It, it can do that, right? If, if, you, if you want to go Northwest Passage, well, it's a totally different sort of boat. You know, if you want to go around Cape Horn, it's a totally different sort of boat. If you want to go downwind sailing 
across an Atlantic, you know, a Beneteau Bavaria, they do that all the time. You know, it's not a hard sail. Now, even sailing back, I mean, we've got plenty of people that have had that we knew sailing back this year to uh, Europe because of what was happening and they just sort of wanted to be closer to home grounds. Um, you know, they all sailed across. There have been no incidences about any of the Bavarias or Benetos that we heard about sailing back or, you know, lagoon catamarans or anything else. The, the boats and the weather forecasting nowadays, it's pretty good. It's not like you'd be accidentally caught in a, in a storm, as long as you don't do anything silly. Um, you know, you've, you've got to pick the season. Everyone knows which months to, to go in, and if you generally stick to those months, you're not going to get much more than 35 knots of wind uh, or something like that. It's It'll be fine. But I don't know. Um, I would still like a bigger boat, but at the same time, like I said, it would have to be a... Uh, it would have to be a very compelling reason to get it because um, there's so many things that are on this boat that are brand new that we've put in in the last uh, three to four years. Um, you know, even the dining table and the ovens, you know, it just keeps going everywhere I look. So it's it's uh, it's one that we like at the moment and um, it would have to be a fantastic offer for us to give this one up. And she sailed so well. I mean, she crossed the Atlantic without a problem at all. And then, you know, she sails here to wind uh, very well. Um, we just enjoyed it. I mean, I know, I know she's not a fantastic boat in terms of club sailing capacity or, you know, like uh, she's not a full-length keel, she's not, you know, any of that. But she's a pretty fast sailor. And I think we've been lucky because it's an older boat. It's an older, stronger Bavaria. It's a 2002 so, you know, it was, it was built a couple of years after de- uh, the dot-com uh, boom. People had money, and I think they spent a bit of money building boats in those days. Now they're a lot thinner, and the newer boats, I would, you know, we've, um, well, we've seen them, and we've also heard other people say that they flex a lot more. Yeah, they, they really skimped on the... Uh the fiberglass in the newer boats. Yeah. 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 I, I think you're much better off getting one of the older boats if you can get insurance for it. So that's, that's the key, if you can get insurance for it. So, of course, you're not having problems with it yet. But, uh, hey, 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 who no. did you get your insurance through this year since Pantania's dropped everybody? Um, so we're using Topsail. And, oh, okay. um, yeah, and you know, the, it hasn't been cheap because of what's happened with hurricanes up here and... Um, the fact that obviously Pantanius are dropping some people, I can imagine that others are thinking, well, there's a good reason for us to potentially lift our rates. But um, they've been fairly good. And the other thing is we use them for um, travel and medical insurance as well. Okay. Um, they, they have a policy that is designed around skippers and crews. And so they know that you're out on your boat the whole year and – they also know that you'll travel from the boat to wherever. So actually covered for the whole lot. Um, that's that's costing us about uh, 2700 US for the whole family on the travel insurance. Oh, okay. About, about that. And the boat insurance is actually roughly about the same for us. 
Okay. It was much cheaper in the Mediterranean than I must admit. Yeah. So what are your uh, so, cruising plans for next year? We've got, been going about an hour, so we'll cut it off as after this question, then maybe we come back and do another interview because it's always a pleasure to talk to you, and you make it so easy because you... <laughs> you just you just you answer my questions before I come up with them. That's great. So all right. Yeah. Well, you might have to guide me sometimes. Sometimes I just dribble on. But um, I think the plan for us, we would really like to see the Bahamas. Um, so I think next year we'll shoot. We'll quickly go through the islands, um, the Windward and the Leeward Islands. Obviously, we've seen some of them already. We've, you know, the Windward Islands we've done, I think it switches to Leeward Islands at Guadeloupe, doesn't it? Anyway. But, yeah, so um, I haven't heard much about the British Virgin Islands. I hear it's a, it's a lovely place, but I believe it's super crowded. Very with, crowded, yeah. Um, Very crowded. Yeah, with, so, you, so you get people coming in for a week's sail. And uh, well, as we had one of our neighbours telling us, here in the marina the other day, they were a bit worried because they were there with their nice oyster and they'd have, <laughs> they'd have people coming in that were obviously on a pub crawl from one marina to another and <laughs> fairly intoxicated and coming and anchoring next to them. They were sort of a bit concerned about, you know, the happy, jolly state of these sailors and their ability to uh, anchor correctly. There's, a, there's it, a YouTube video I put out. And you can still find us called Oday to Credit Card Sailors. And it just, oh, just, right. Did you, I'm sure you've seen it, but it just shows the fiascos of these guys anchoring and dragging through and catching, I think, seven anchors that crossed over and snagged. It's a, <laughs> it's a funny video. But, uh, yeah. yeah. I think, probably, you know, probably anchoring um, techniques if it is a really important, and it's not it's not that complicated, right? It is really not that complicated to anchor, um, but it probably just needs to be covered with people who don't do it often, um, and that would save a lot of uh, a lot of insurance claims and hassle, I guess, for people because yeah. that tends to be a big. But so anyway, so the plans are that we'll move through the islands relatively quickly. We won't rush, but we'll just generally head north, knowing that we want to spend as much time in the Bahamas as we can for next season. Mm-hmm. And and then from the Bahamas, we'll um, probably go through uh, to the U.S. for the hurricane season. And as to whether or not we take the ICW or the outside route, I am not sure. And we're certainly, um, we're, we're the right uh, draft for the ICW, from my understanding, because we're um, only 1.75 metres, so that's about five and a, something feet hmm. okay so being shoal draft we're good for the bahamas and probably good for the icw i'm not sure about mast height though i'll have to check that yeah because that might be an issue well most of those but anyway. most of those are uh well most of the bridges i went under when i went from palm how was it palm beach down to fort lauderdale it was just opening bridges i mean they the bridges opened right. up so you, okay yeah Oh, well, that's good enough. That's that'll work. Yeah, yeah. But and I'm sure you can always duck out to see when you need to go around something. So mm-hmm. that's not a problem. Yeah, yeah. Well, Jack, thanks for coming on. I'll get you back on sooner this next time. It's been way too long since we chatted, and it's always good to catch up on you, with you. Yeah, look, absolutely. 
Um, maybe we could talk about some more sailing in the Mediterranean because we did do some of that last season. I don't think we covered it, but um, yeah. Well, let me get you back. I've got to do a little actual work at my job today. Otherwise, I'd keep talking. Yeah, to yeah. <laughs> no, I've got to. I've got to get back to the same myself. So, all right. Perfect time to end it. Thanks, friends. Thanks, Jack. Keep in touch. Okay. All right. Bye. See ya. Bye bye. Life is short. In the end, all that really matters is the memories you make. So make a few. Go sailing.